This morning, I want to talk to you about goodness. Not the goodness of God, uh, but the goodness, the fruit of the Spirit that we instructed to live with. To be good is to possess or to display moral virtue. It is to be desired or to have required qualities that can be prescribed as good. God's goodness sets a precedence for our goodness. God's goodness is is part of his holiness. It's part of his character. It's part of his nature. He is good. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. That's Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Be imitators of me, as I also imitate Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Bible is very clear that we are to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, that we are to imitate his ways and his nature. So if God is good, if Christ is good, therefore we also must be good. We also must live a life of goodness. One thing about God's goodness though, God's goodness isn't wrapped up in his gifts, God's goodness isn't wrapped up in his gifts. God's goodness is part of his character. It's part of his nature. Therefore, our goodness can't solely rely on our action. Because God's goodness isn't wrapped up in his gifts. It's it's not about what he does. It's about who he is. So therefore... If we are to imitate Christ, our goodness can't be about what we do. It has to be about who we are. It must be exhibited through our righteousness as we imitate Christ, as we follow him, as we read his word, as we live as disciples. God's goodness is viewable as independent from the circumstances that are around us. His goodness is everywhere. Even though the world may not seem great or good right now, even though our lives may not seem good, even though if we feel God may be distant or may be far away, but his goodness is independent of our circumstances. His goodness is independent of our understanding. If we don't understand God to be good, he is still good. It's really important for us to grasp that goodness isn't, about what God does for us. His goodness is about who he is. And so therefore, for us to to live good, for us to embody the fruit of the Spirit, our goodness has to be about who we are. It has to be about what comes out from inside of our hearts. It has to be us being transformed into his likeness, not about the acts of kindness that we can do or the acts of goodness that we can do. It's about who we are. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, picking it up in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. I'm just going to quickly stop because 
you know, in our English Bibles, the chapters are broken up in specific ways, but it's, it's really important that we understand why it says therefore to begin with. In the whole of chapter 11, uh, we, we see here a mention of all these amazing people of faith. We read about Moses, we read about Abraham, we read about Isaac and Jacob. We, we hear about how God parted the Red Sea and we read about Rahab, the faith of Rahab, the prostitute. And so we are told, therefore, so this provides context for what it means by the cloud of witnesses. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, being the people that have walked before us, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance a race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God on the throne. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. If we skip down to verse 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more shall we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they deemed best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I want to reclaim the thought or the word discipline this morning. I think the word discipline can often have really negative connotation of what it means. I, I often have previously associated discipline as punishment, discipline as um, being told off or being told that I'm not good enough. And I think that skews the purpose of discipline and therefore makes us resistant to its nature. The word discipline, the word here that's used in the Greek is the word paideia. And it means the whole training or the education of children which relates to the cultivation of minds and morals in their lives. It also includes the training of care of the body. Paideia, it means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals in their life. That's a really picture of discipline than often we can think of it. And so when I, when I read this passage here, in Hebrews 12, 
I read a passage that communicates that God desires us to be disciplined or to be raised or trained in his ways, that we would learn his morals, that our minds would be changed into the way that he thinks, that we are being told or trained how to care for ourselves. When you think of the word discipline, it's very similar and it it kind of comes from the root word of disciple. If we are to be disciples, we have to be okay. We actually have to seek after or enjoy, long for the discipline of God in our lives. Because it's really clear, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Again, coming back to this thought that God's goodness isn't based on or determined by the gifts that he gives or the actions of what he does, but it's based on his nature and his character. So therefore, he wants to discipline us or he wants to train us in his ways. And through that, he can then make us good so that we can share in his holiness. so that we can share in his holiness, that we can share in his goodness, that we can experience a harvest of righteousness and peace. God longs to discipline us. You know, in Jeremiah, there's a beautiful picture painted about the potter and the clay. God longs for our hearts to be soft, moldable clay that can be shaped informed by the hand of the potter. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness, that we may experience righteousness and peace. Discipline's a great thing. Discipline's a beautiful thing. Discipline is something that makes us become like Christ. If we heed to discipline, if we heed to what God brings and brings up in our lives and and shows us so that we can become more like him. It's a beautiful thing that we should long for. It's a beautiful thing that we should seek. It's not always something that's going to be pleasant and may not necessarily be comfortable, but what it produces is what really matters. What it produces is what really counts. As I've been praying about this this week, I think that the Lord has highlighted to me an area of life right now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak generally in this, in this next portion of my message. I just want to say, I don't want you to feel condemnation or to feel shame. But I do believe that the Lord has highlighted something to me that he wants to discipline us in. That he wants to, to show us a different way. I think right now what's taking place in the world around us, there's an overarching theme of judgment. And it's, it's related to a lot of the things to do with coronavirus and the, the vaccine and, and all this kind of stuff. But I'm watching as, as people are becoming divided. I'm watching as people are making judgments of others. And some Christian, some not Christian, I've, I've watched people in general, have judgment rise up in their hearts against their brother, 
and to see them think or believe that what they are doing is correct and therefore they get to judge or have the right to judge the person that's next to them. I really, really believe this morning that God wants us to know that that judgment isn't our responsibility. That judgment is not something that's been given to us. So therefore, why are we giving it to others? A theme that is really connected to judgment is superiority. Superiority is the thought or the belief that you are more superior. Again, superiority isn't something that we have been given or something that we can assume we have over the people that are next to us. There is an even playing field that we all experience as sons and daughters of Christ. Jesus is superior, God is superior, but we are not superior. And so there's these two things, superiority and judgment. Both of them, I think, are detrimental to our walk of faith. Both of them are detrimental to love. Both of them are detrimental to peace. Both of them are detrimental to unity. So, therefore, we can't let them exist in our minds. We can't let them exist in our hearts. In Matthew 7, this is Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. We shouldn't judge we shouldn't assume or think that we are superior. Firstly, because Jesus didn't. Any thought that doesn't come from a framework of love is a thought that Christ doesn't think. Any thought that doesn't come through a framework of love is a thought that Jesus would not think. Think about that for a second. Love and judgment cannot easily coexist. Any thought we think that doesn't come through a framework of love is a thought or it's something that Christ does not think and so therefore we should not think it. Jesus was love. Jesus embodied love. As he was fully God and as he was fully man, 
He walked this earth. He encountered person after person, circumstance after circumstance. He was tested. He was tried. There was multiple opportunities for Christ to extend judgment or to assume superiority. And he didn't fight the game that they were wanting to play. He didn't play the game that they were wanting to play. And I'm speaking of the Jesus relationship with the Pharisees. I said a couple of weeks ago in my sermon that we can't be playing the game of the world. We can't be playing things in the way of the world. We actually have to remove ourselves from that thought and realize that there's a whole nother system or a whole nother game that we have to operate within. The way of the kingdom is so much more different to the way of this world. We won't successfully live as followers of Christ if we've got a foot in both camps. If we've got a foot in the camp of judgment and if we've got a foot in the camp of love, may I suggest that we're not going to do either really well. We're not going to do either very well. And I'm not suggesting that you should put both feet in the camp of judgment, by the way. But we should be putting both feet in the camp of love. I think we have an opportunity in front of us to show the world what it looks like to follow Jesus, to show the world what it looks like to experience love by the way that we withhold judgment by the way that we withhold assuming a position that believes that someone else is doing something wrong. How radical would it look like if we as a group of people removed judgment from our framework and only chose love and unity? It would look so different to what the world is experiencing right now. So, so different to see a group of people who have different opinions, different beliefs, who are making different choices, choose to gather together and not judge, but only love. That really excites me. That motivates me. That makes me want to take on the discipline of God and ask him, Father, if there's any judgments that I'm making about other individuals, God, would you please eradicate them from my life? Lord, I repent from thinking that I can make a judgment that you're not making. When I think about the possibility of us being a community of people that despite our differences, choose love, choose goodness rather than the way of the world, which right now is judgment and separation. What a beacon of hope is that? What an amazing beacon of hope. I think there are two things that I want to leave you with this morning that I think are are really key to helping us not judge but actually to live from a place of love, to live from a place of unity, from from a place of peace, from a place of holiness as God is holy. The first key is this. It's in Exodus 34, 6. 
you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read it. It says this, and he passed in front of Moses, this is speaking of God, when he and Moses were on Mount Sinai. And he said this, passing in front of Moses, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. I am slow to anger and I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. The key phrase here is slow to anger. Slow to anger. Think about that for a second. Think about what it means to be slow to anger. When I read that, I think of it quite literally. I think of being slow in feeling, thinking, or even expressing the emotion of anger. You know, uh, the emotion of anger is often a, a really great trigger point for a thought or a belief of judgment. Anger doesn't always lead to judgment, but I've found that quite often it can be a great conduit to experiencing and to thinking judgment. And so I think the first key for us to be a people that do not judge but love is that we must be slow to anger, that we must be abounding in love and faithfulness. And the second key is that I believe that we are called to see others how God sees them. And that if we can't see it, then we need to seek him to find out what he sees. We need to be proactive in that. It doesn't take long when studying the life of Christ to realize that he did not care about social status, that he did not care about cultural status, that he did not care about religiosity, that he did not care about whether you were clean or unclean by the standards of the law. Jesus did not regard those things when he would touch or hang out with lepers, when he went to the houses of Caius, when he recognized the woman with the issue of blood that touched him and the power was drained from him. It doesn't read that Jesus judged them and that he thought things of them, that he did actions based on what they were worth, which was often dictated by society. He was so anti that. Instead, he saw them how God saw them. I think of the man with the mat who was lame and how Jesus, when he saw him, he had compassion for him. And all he says is, your sins have been forgiven, so get up and walk. Take your mat and get out of here. I think about the lepers and how they were outcasts of society. How quite often they spent most of the time outside of the city gates. And Jesus was so welcoming of them. Jesus doesn't judge or see 
through the lens of affliction or pain. He doesn't disregard the pain. He did not view people for what they were worth in those moments, but for who they were as sons and daughters of God. And so for us to not judge, we need to be people that are active in seeking the Lord to see how he sees the people around us. We need to slow down, be slow to anger, and to see others how God sees them. Now, there, there are probably so many different things. There are other things. I'm well aware there are so many other things that you can do personally. But these are just the two that I really felt like God wanted to, to share this morning as we kickstart this journey. But I want us to, to walk away remembering that the call for our lives, that the, the instruction for our lives, the invitation even for us, is to be good as God is good. That to, we are to imitate Christ, to, to be transformed into his likeness. And that takes place through discipline, which is a beautiful thing, which is an invitation. It's something that we are required to choose and to allow to happen in our lives. That discipline is about us being trained to be like Christ. It's a process of transformation. And that in this time, we have an opportunity to be good in who we are, but also to be good in our action by not judging those around us, but by loving those around us. By not having thoughts about them that Christ wouldn't have. That we are to think through a framework of love, to think through a framework of redemption, to think through a framework of freedom, to think through a framework of unity, to think through a framework of peace. Just as Christ would have. And that we have a chance to be a beacon of hope to the people around us because of who we are, but also because of what we do. That we would not judge, that we would not assume superiority because of pride or because of what we believe is right versus what they believe is wrong. But that we would recognize that the authority has been given to us to love and to love fully. And that's how we'll be known as followers of Christ is through our love. May we be slow to anger and may we seek the Lord's heart for his children, for the people around us. May we see them as God sees them. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I want to pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you for your discipline. Father, I thank you that you are so intentional in training us, in equipping us to become more like your son, to be transformed into his likeness. 
that it's for our good, that it's for us to be holy just as you are holy. Lord, that you have righteousness for us, that you have peace for us. Lord, I pray that we would receive your discipline in this season. And God, we just, we break the thought or we break the connection or the negative connotation that discipline holds in our hearts and our minds. And Father, I ask that you would teach us how beautiful your discipline is, how beautiful your ways are. And Lord, that we would recognize that it's a chance for us to become more like Jesus. That you are training us, Lord. And Father, I pray that that would take place in our hearts and in our minds, but also, Lord, that that would take place in our actions. That as we are transformed into your likeness, Father, that we will leak your goodness everywhere that we go. And Lord, I pray that you would eradicate judgment from our hearts and from our minds. Father, I pray that you would discipline us in this area. Lord, that we would be slow to anger, that we would not be quick to judge. But Lord, that we would see others how you see them. God, that and if, and if we struggle to see that, Father, I pray for courage and for perseverance to pursue your heart for them, to seek you, to understand. Lord, would you give us wisdom in this area? Father, I pray that you would mobilize us to become a people who love, who love, who love. regardless of choice, regardless of belief or position. God, would you enable us to love? Would you enable us to be good, just as you're good? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you that as you just go about your weeks, as you spend time with friends and family, as you spend time with the Lord, entertain this thought of changing the way that you view discipline. Because it, it's a radical thing for us to do. If we can disassociate dis discipline from shame and condemnation and recognize that it's us being discipled and it's us being trained and equipped to become like Christ, we're going to become a radical group of people. If we can be taught the discipline of Christ and be led in, in, as his disciples, can you imagine what's going to happen? Can you imagine how we're going to relate to one another as community? Can you, can you imagine how we're going to raise our children? Can you see how we're going to be such an amazing beacon of hope for the people around us because of how different we are? It gets me so excited. It provides me with so much hope. It provides me with so much peace. It makes me long to preserve unity at all costs. It makes me long to, 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 to get rid of what I think and to only think what Christ thinks. And that's my heart for us. And I believe that's God's heart for us is he wants us to think how Christ thinks. He wants us to live how Christ lived to be disciples, and that's what a disciple is, to follow in the ways of Jesus.
So I want to encourage you, don't, don't just listen to this and then disengage, but engage with this throughout your week because it's, it's so much more practical. It's so much more involved than, than we often are aware sometimes. If we just stop and engage and listen to the leading of the Father, there are opportunities all around us to, to be disciplined, to be taught His ways. So I just want to encourage you with leaving you with that. 